Missouri's first senatorial district has been in Democratic hands since 2013. But Republican David Lanahan believes he has the experience and health care expertise to nab the seat back for his party. Lanahan joins us next on the latest episode of Politically Speaking to break down his campaign for the South St. Louis County-based seat. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me today, the Republican nominee for the 1st Senatorial District. Dr. David Linehan. Thank you so much for joining us. He is a combatant in the highly watched first Senate district race. If you're listening to this, you probably have already heard his opponent's uh, podcast, Democrat State Representative Doug Beck. As I was telling him before the show, we want to have separate shows so voters of the first district can have a robust sense of who these candidates are. And that transitions to my first question. Who are you and why are you running for this seat? Yeah, this is my first time running for anything, so I haven't run for any political offices. I've been dean of a medical school in Harlem, and I've been president of a university in Puerto Rico, and now I'm building a hospital and medical school in St. Louis. And I've worked in areas that typical Republicans don't go into, from Harlem to North Miami to Puerto Rico. And one of the things I've really noticed is that if we want to create equality in society, if we it's a, that's a big discussion thing right now with all the things going on. If we really want to do that, we need to create opportunities for people. My whole career has been about creating opportunities for people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds to get into the healthcare workforce. These are great jobs, they're lifelong jobs, they're good paying jobs, and I thought the next step would be trying to do that in politics. I'm not trying to become governor or move up the move up the ladder. I want to do my part. I feel I have some good experience in education, healthcare and investments and how to create jobs. And so I thought I would try to run for politics. So you've decided to run in in very competitive territory. I'm sure you know that the first senatorial district may be like the most competitive Senate district in the state. I don't know if this is going to be the most competitive race. The 15th district race is also pretty competitive. Uh, But it's been held by Democratic Senator Scott Sifton for the last eight years. And it it is seen as somewhat Democratic leaning because Webster Groves has become kind of a Democratic stronghold. South County is kind of swing area. What's kind of your strategy to turn this district red? I think the key thing is to get my message out. Some of the things that I've been successful in my life is creating a vision that people can get behind. I've been able to create visions in, like I said, Harlem and Puerto Rico. And people that wouldn't normally vote for me or would be kind of my my people can get on board because they believe in what we're saying about creating opportunities, dealing with mental health, improving education, causing a change in how we deliver education is something I've been integral a part of throughout the United States. And so I think if we can get that message out to the people, we have a very good chance of winning. So let's delve into something that you're familiar with, healthcare. And one of the things that voters voted for in 
uh, August is expanding Medicaid under the auspices of the Affordable Care Act. That's the law of the land now. Yeah. And honestly, you don't really need to do anything to actually expand Medicaid. I think that's going to be the job of the next governor. But there probably is going to be an effort to impose some sort of work requirement. Many Republicans have talked about that. What's kind of your take on that particular issue? Yeah, so I was one of the few Republicans that came out for the Medicaid expansion before the vote. So it's not something I'm jumping on a ship. And the thing that's important with the Medicaid expansion is we passed it. Now what? And I think the important thing is when we get legislators to get into the make decisions, Medicaid expansion has a, a huge impact on our, our economy. And if we have to meet 10% of our general revenue to get that match, how do we do that? And, and so I actually have a very clear plan on doing that. If you use that 10% match and you require our hospital systems in urban core and rural America or rural Missouri, to use that money for capital expenditure, new buildings, MRIs, equipment, things like that, then that, that general revenue amount becomes eligible for CARES Act reimbursement grants. So if you do that, you can actually get your 10% match reimbursed back through CARES Act funding. But you have to know how to do those things. The other thing you can do is that match that's going to occur is going to yield more money for our disproportionate payment for people that are poor, people with special needs, children, if you make sure that money gets distributed into some of our rural areas and we improve our reimbursement rates from CMS, the Center of Medicare Services, where the money comes from, that then allows those facilities to count that income, that new revenue, as part of general revenue. So the key thing is we need people who actually understand how this system's works. This is 20% of our U.S. GDP, 22% of the state's GDP, and 18% of the world's total revenue is based on health care. This is something I've been working on. We ask, how do I think I'm going to win? It's that I understand how the health care systems work. I don't want to do anything that would remove pre-existing conditions. I actually have a pre-existing condition. I am actually on the marketplace. I don't have some special private insurance. I understand how these things work and how you can actually improve it for the citizens of Missouri. And that's why I want to run for state senate. Work requirement, though, is that something? And I just want to back up for a second. A work requirement could require another vote, because if you look at the ballot initiative, I, I think you would, you, you would have to, like, any changes you make to the Medicaid expansion would have to be for everybody. So you can't put right. a work requirement on kids, for example, right. if you expand it that way. What would be your, your mindset if that comes up if you're in the Senate? So I don't know. It kind of depends how the economy is going. In this particular situation where the economy is right now, it would not be for a work requirement. There's a lot of people out of work. There's a lot of people that are having some difficulties. And I think if you put undue restrictions on that, it's not going to be benefit. It's not going to create opportunities for people. Everything I want to do is how do you create opportunities for people? And I have a feeling that that would kind of jam them up. And so I would... You know, at this moment in time, I would be cautious on, on re making that requirement. When, when I was talking with Representative Beck, one of the things that he pointed out that he did outside the legislature was campaign against so-called right to work, which is kind of the term uh, proponents use to describe a policy that would bar unions and employers from requiring workers to pay dues at a condition of employment. A, a mouthful. But uh, and with the also added caveat, and I said this on the other show, I am a member of a labor union because I'm an adjunct instructor at Washington University. Um, what would be your position on, on that particular issue? Because there are a lot of members of organized labor in this sure. district. 
And it's been decided by the state. I mean, this is an overwhelming mandate by the state. I'm against right to work, just like the person you said. And the unions have nothing to fear from me on that particular issue. And why? I, I think the next question is, why am I like that? I, I think that's, you know, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm in healthcare. I'm fairly successful. But why? The reason is, is union jobs create opportunities for people. Anything that creates an opportunity for somebody to do better in their life is something I'm going to support. And so the unions do that. They give health insurance. They create a better wage. And so that's something that I might not agree with everything that we're talking about, you know, with the unions. But I'm a strong supporter of making sure that we give people an opportunity to have a better life so their children can do better than they did. Mm -hmm. On uh, education, because I think that's a big issue for a lot of people in the first district. One of the things that I think may come up if you're in the Senate is an effort to expand charter schools. There's mm -hmm. been an effort to do that from some Republicans for many years. There's actually been a pushback from uh, a lot of suburban and rural Republicans to uh, making it easier to set up charter schools. What would be your mentality if that issue comes up before you in the Missouri Senate? So I want to, again, phrase it to what I was saying before. How do we create opportunities for people? Right now, we're in a pandemic. Everyone's trying to figure out how to do these Zoom meetings. And in fact, the kids, the students, know how to use these technologies better than the teachers I most can, of the time. I can confirm that. My <laughs> six-year-old has already learned how to pin down the person that's talking to him, and, and I, right? I can't do that, but continue. So I was the first medical school in the United States to flip the curriculum, to use Zoom. I did this 10 years ago. And we've been developing these type of technologies in the classroom for the last 10 years. This pandemic's gonna force that hand. We're gonna start using these technologies in the classroom because what it does is it allows us to see some analytics, how the, how the students are doing in the classroom a little bit better than if they were sitting in the classroom. But the thing that's really kind of interesting about this is now we can start delivering content, curricula, classes to students across the state where they might not have access to the teacher. If you have a, a really smart kid living in the rural parts of Missouri, they probably don't have access to a biochemistry teacher or a calculus professor. Now we can let that student acquire that class. Again, creating opportunities for these students. And the problem that I see, I see it at the very end. So I'm, I'm off in the medical doctorate area. If we don't give these students opportunities from urban core cities to rural parts of America, or even in the suburbs, we can create courses that we don't have. If we don't provide those opportunities for the students, then they lose opportunities to go to medical school, to go to law school, to go get a doctorate in engineering. And so the thing I'm most interested in is how do we provide curricula for students so that we're meeting their intellectual needs? And so I would be for charter schools as we develop that. And I will, I will tell that to all my Republican colleagues throughout the state that this is not a bad thing. This is giving your students and your community an opportunity to get courses that they couldn't get before. I've seen this, this. This is what I do. This is how I work. So I understand how this mechanism works. I understand the teachers. I've been on a faculty senate. I was president of a faculty senate in a unionized school. So I understand that. But we have to create these opportunities. And the thing is, to make it work, we need to create a vision that people can get behind. I need to create a vision that rural Missourians would understand, that urban Missourians would understand, my constituents would understand. I think we can do that. That's what I do in my career every day. Regardless of politics, I'm going to be doing that tomorrow.
well, so it's important. What would you say to people that are, are leery of charter schools because they, they view them as kind of these parasitic elements, elements that hurt traditional public schools? Because that's what your opponent has basically said. Yeah. So I want to give you a chance to respond to that argument. I think that's nonsense. All right? Because I'm not saying anything bad against the public schools. I think they're very good. But if you can provide an opportunity for students to do a better education, that you can give them a calculus. Now, in our district, we have all those resources, all right? But take a look for the rest of the state. There are school districts in the state that probably don't have access to calculus teachers, that don't have access to chemistry teachers. And if these students need those services or they need those, those courses, we need to make sure that they're provided to them. It's unfair not to give the student that because when they go to college, I'm going to give a good example, sure. and I'm going to use my own family. Okay. My son goes to CBC, went to CBC, great school, right? Great curriculum, he did very well at school. He takes calculus, chemistry, and biology, right? He now goes to the university, let's say he goes to the University of Missouri. And he's now thrown into a class with somebody from rural Missouri or maybe up in the city. And they take calculus, chemistry, and biology. My son's seen these courses before, he gets A's. The student from these other two areas, first time taking this course, they get C's. It's not that my son is smarter, it's that my son's a little bit better prepared because I was able to give them the advantages. You get three C's freshman year at university, no medical school will ever look at your application. You don't even get to make an application really, it's over. So what we need to do is make sure that students have those opportunities to, to get that curricula in high school. And that's one of the things I think charter schools allow our students to get. I'm not saying scrap everything, I'm just saying make sure we have opportunities for our students to make sure they get the education that they can handle. I want to move on to something, again, in the medical realm, and that's COVID-19. I'll ask very simply, how do you think the state of Missouri has managed the pandemic so far? When I say the state of Missouri, I mean the governor of Missouri, Mike yeah, Parson. That's a very good question. I get asked this quite a bit, and I think Governor Parsons has done a very good job. And, and I'm very leery to criticize any of our leaders who do that, from Governor Parsons to Dr. Page to Governor Cuomo. All of them have different approaches on how to handle this. And here's one of the things I would tell the constituents. I was in Puerto Rico when Hurricane Maria hits. I've been there for earthquakes. And one of the things I've learned is when you're in command, you need to make a decision. It's easy to criticize everybody, but you have to make a decision to move forward. What we're experiencing is all these governors across the United States are making decisions on what they deem is the best information they have. It's easy to criticize, it's tough to make the call. And that's one of the things I think for running for state senate is you don't have to worry about me making a call. I'm not going to sit on the sideline and just criticize and never make a decision. If you're in command, make a decision. You can correct it later. You can adjust it based on what's actually going on. But I think Governor Parsons got it just about right. And, you know, if you're living in New York and there's 5,000 people in your building and you all share the same elevator, fair enough. you got to lock it down. But in this area, my neighbor is 100 yards away. I don't think we need to lock down Oakville or lock down Lime right now until the, the data changes. So I, I, do think that, I do think they got it right. They're making the proper decisions based on the information. And I don't have all that information, so I think it would be wrong for me just to say they got everything wrong. Right. Now, your opponent has said that he supports a mask mandate, which I know is a very touchy issue. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've, I've questioned him, like, how do you enforce that in rural areas where there aren't a lot of, like, health department officials? And I'll just flip that on its script. 
there are a lot there are a lot of studies including from the CDC that say that the best way to prevent COVID-19 is by wearing a mask or staying six feet apart for our listeners we are six feet apart right now I think we're about <laughs> seven and a half feet apart um, what would you say to that idea of, of requiring people to wear masks no I mean in certain situations yes if you're in highly dense dense areas I think there probably should be a mask mandate if you live in a building that has a large population in a small area. But if you're out in rural Missouri, no. And the reason why I'm saying this is, as of this interview today, we know that Europe has just moved to a phase three state. They've all had those mask mandates. They've all had the social distancing, and yet it still is moving forward. I'm not saying be stupid and don't wear, you know, if we're next to each other or something, don't wear a mask. Yeah. But but requiring a, a statewide mandate for a mask is is, one, irresponsible. And two, I think silly, because if your neighbor is a mile apart, requiring a mask, one, they're not going to follow it. I mean, you've got a mandate that no one's going to actually pay attention to and how you, how are you going to enforce it? But it's just not fair. I mean, if you, you got you got that's the point of making these decisions. I, I think that the Dr. Page and I think the governor for each jurisdiction have it just about right. And so it's easy to criticize. It's I know it's political season and we're supposed to bash and make fun of everybody, but I'm not going to do that. We'll be right back after this quick break with David Lanahan. And we're back on Politically Speaking with Republican First District Senatorial hopeful David Lanahan. So I want to ask you about public safety because that's been in the news lately. I'm pretty sure that this is going to be an issue that's going to be talked about a lot through the airwaves and elsewhere. There was just a special session of the General Assembly that just wrapped up where the legislators passed a couple of things, including eliminating the residency requirement for the city of St. Louis police officers and creating a witness fund. But a lot of other things didn't pass, including the ability for the attorney general to intervene in St. Louis homicide cases. Um, just very generally, if, if this issue does come up again, because I'm pretty yeah. sure it will, sure. what would be your mentality? What would be some ideas you would want to push, including some that maybe didn't get it past the finish line? I would probably say this is the biggest difference between me and my opponent and probably me and quite a few people running for, for public office. We really need to address the mental health issue. The mental, and I've been talking about this for 10 years. I'm gonna, I'm building a site. I'm personally building a psychiatric hospital up in North St. Louis. I have one of the largest psychiatric residency programs in the United States. And I know that if you don't actually deal with mental health, substance abuse, mental breaks, things like that, that crime significantly increases. And I, I know there's lots of stuff in the media right now. I don't know when this is gonna get aired, but I know there's a lot of stuff in the media on all this craziness going around in America. That's going to eventually settle down and stop. And then we have to figure out what in the world do you do? That's what you want your legislator to say. What do you do? We need to deal with the mental health issues. We need to kind of address that. That will help us get control of the crime issue. It'll help take some of those things that we see on TV and get those into a different realm. And, and that's how I think we deal with it. And, and, the, and I actually gave a speech yesterday about this. The people we're talking about are Americans, too. They need help. They may not be Republican or Democrat, but they're Americans, and they need assistance. And I think it's incumbent on us as a legislator to make sure that we give the mechanisms and support necessary to address that. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that will be a big deal for me is a crime. How do we deal with crime? I definitely support the police. But how do we also give them the resources so that they can deal with those mental health 
issues that they so often deal with and, and aren't sure how to handle. Yeah. So my question is, do you think that police officers are the right people to deal with mental health issues? Because I know that there's been a lot of talk about, quote unquote, defunding the police and what it means and whether it literally means defunding the police or whether it's more of a philosophical thing about uh, giving some of their duties to other people. But it seems like if you want to deal with people who are dealing with mental health issues, police may not be the best people to actually deal with that. So I want you to address yeah. that part. So this is when the, the defunding the police. One, I'm not a big fan of defunding the police because if you take those resources away, then they're not going to have access to the mental health professionals because that's going to fall under that domain of, of that budget. What you need to do is make sure that the police officers know how to deal with if it's a violent situation, regardless if they have a mental health issue. If it's a violent situation, there has to be some element of protection to protect the people. But if it's not that, the police need to have access to mental health professionals to be able to come in and resolve the situation just so it does not escalate into a violent situation. We don't do a very good, not only Missouri, the whole United States, the whole world practically does not do a very good job in trying to bring the mental health facilities or the resources into the police force. That's a unique perspective on how we deal with police forcing and crime that I hope to bring to the Missouri legislature. Make us the example of how you actually deal with this across the United States. And I think that could be very powerful. And again, one of the reasons why I want to run for the Missouri State Senate. I'm asked a similar question to your opponent, but I'm, I want to, I'm purposely asking this question to both of you because this district is, I don't know what the demographics are, but my assumption is it's overwhelmingly white, I guess 95, 96% white. And, uh, you know, there's been a protest movement that it's emerged over the past few months decrying police killing black people like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And I would be interested to hear if you would be amenable to not only doing things to deal with mental health or supporting the police by giving them more money, but also about what a lot of the protesters are saying about holding them accountable when they do wrong things, whether that be investigating police involved killings differently, you know, providing money for body cameras, sensitivity training. What's kind of your thought process on that sure. side of the coin? Well, I, I think a couple things. I'm definitely supportive of better training for the police, and, and for all public health people, that from firemen to policemen, to, so they can learn how to interact in those situations to de-escalate the, the nature. But with that, you can't do that and defund or reduce funding because training costs money. And so you, you have to be able to figure that out. Again, that's, that's the complexities of being in public office. Yes, you can say, I'm going to do, I'm going to cut everything or, or things like you make these draconian statements. That never works. That doesn't get anything off the ground. How do you actually deal with that? Well, we need to provide training. Body cams are a great idea because that also protects the police officer as much as it does the person that they're working with or dealing with. So it provides a two-way street on that. And if a police officer does something completely negligent and egregious, of course you got to be able to, you got to get that person off the force. But I think that's far removed. I don't think that happens nearly as much as we see on the television right now and what's going on. And I, I think even the cases that you mentioned, those are mental health issues. I mean, if you actually kind of watch what was going on, not the Breanna Taylor, no. but, but the other one was definitely, it was on fentanyl, he, was, he had a... There was a psychic break happening at that time if you watch that 10-minute that stretch. And so I think if you could have got a mental health professional in at that time for a substance abuse psychic event, 
then you could have been able to help like, de-escalate that situation. I think somebody else would point out that George Floyd was accused of like passing a fake $20 bill, mm-hmm. which I'm, are, I'm not justifying that, but that seemed to be an awful lot of police response for a pretty petty crime. So I think he was on fentanyl too. Yeah, but I'm just saying that's he wasn't called for fentanyl. He was called yeah. for passing a, a you know a counterfeit bill. So that's my question. Like, do we also need to reexamine like when police should go to certain instances? Obviously, if somebody's being violently attacked or robbed. I understand that, but like from watching that video, I don't know if like passing a fake dollar bill requires four police officers. But basically. Where, do you, where do you draw that line? So you're going to say passing a twenty dollar bill is okay, but what about a thousand dollar bill? Well, what about just stealing a, what if they steal a Fiat? Is that different than stealing a Cadillac? Mm-hmm. So, I know, I, I disagree. I think you need to have the police respond. They need to make a decision whether or not this is an event that's gonna require some escalation of force, and that requires training for the police officers. Mm-hmm. Again, we have to trust that our law enforcement do the right thing, and that's why I support them. I, and I find this, by the way, so I, like I said, I've been in Harlem. When I go around and talk mm-hmm. to people in Harlem or from North St. Louis or in Puerto Rico, if someone steals your car, you want to be able to call the police and oh, have yeah. somebody and just, respond to just, it. Just for full disclosure, I was the victim of a burglary in 2009. I called the police. The person was caught. You know, right. I understand that, that, that particular situation. But, but th- that's where, th- again, when we talk about this, that's why we need the training. And that's why we cannot defund the police because you need to make sure that they have the resources necessary to learn how to deal with these situations. And by the way, I think we do do a very good job with that. We're seeing cases right now in the news, but remember, across the United States, most of these situations are de-escalated. To move on to something that's going to be on the ballot, Amendment 3, which is an initiative that would largely undo a a state legislative redistricting system known as Clean Missouri. Uh, Not only did we talk about this on on Representative Beck's show, but this is a this is an issue that could dramatically affect what the first district looks like yeah. after redistricting. Obviously, um, I think it's kind of seen that if Clean Missouri, which was the 2018 initiative, is retained, uh, you could have Senate districts that maybe start in the city and stretch to like West County or Eastern St. Charles, because the idea being that to have competitive districts, you have to connect urban territory with suburban territory. Um, do you think that clean Missouri should be repealed? Is that something that you would be in favor of? Yeah, I don't know all of it, so I haven't read the entire the entire law. Obviously, because I'm out campaigning, I'm sure. hearing a little bit about this. I don't like the idea of all these redistricting and these gerrymandering lines around. One, I think it would really disenfranchise the people in Kansas City and downtown St. Louis. I can imagine that they will not be happy about that, that they'll lose their representation. And, and their strength. Under clean Missouri. Under, yeah. Yeah, continue. And and so, you know, you just got to, you got to be careful with some of these unintended consequences that when you start tinkering with all this stuff, what's that effect 10, 15 years from now? And so I, 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 would, I would approach that with caution before you start tinkering with all that stuff. And I, it comes down to the ver- wording of the language. However, I would say, Anything that creates more transparency, where people get money from for their campaign, where they use the money, how they use it, anything that creates more transparency in that, I'm 100% for it. Yeah, and I mentioned this on, on the other show because Representative Beck was trying to make an argument that Clean Missouri was a campaign finance 
uh, initiative when it really wasn't. I don't really think it did very much to change the campaign finance system. I think that the campaign finance system in Missouri is kind of a it's kind of farcical where you have you know candidates that are limited, but you can have PACs that you as a candidate could say, hey, give a hundred thousand dollars to this PAC, and right. that's totally legal. Uh, that's a whole other issue than what we're talking about, though. That's correct. But I kind of got the sense from your answer, you're not a huge fan of clean Missouri, but would you be in favor of repealing it and replacing it with something else? Or is that just not something you've read up enough about to make a determination? So for? I've not read up enough to make a determination on it, but what I would say is I would need to read the language. One of the things you'll find with me is I'm a, I do a lot of reading. I like to research, and you know my degrees are all in that. And so I like to read the exact verbiage, and it's important to do that because you have to be able to be aware of what that unintended consequence is in 10 years. And so I would have to take that into consideration. Now, the other uh, initiative that's going to be on the ballot is actually term limits for statewide officials, which is a lot more straightforward than uh, complex redistricting. Uh, I have a feeling that probably has a good chance of passing, but I'd be interested to hear what you think about that idea. I'm for term limits. For, for statewide officials. And I'm for term limits, period, across the board globally because you need to get new thought process and we need people with new ideas new experiences new ways of thinking about that and i mean you see some of the stuff going on in the in the nation right now from the politics a lot of the stuff these people have been in power for on both sides by the way i'm not criticizing one or the other for 30 years I mean, if you don't fix something in 30 years, it's probably time to let somebody else give it a try. Kind of a moot point for the legislature because you are term limited right. to eight years in the Senate and eight years in the House. In the last few minutes, I do want to talk about the campaign some more. Yeah. Um, why, why do you think you're a better candidate than Representative Beck? Why do you think people should vote for you instead of him? And I asked a similar question yeah, to him, by fine. the way. I think it's my experience, uh, my experience in healthcare education, creating jobs, bringing investments. I mean, we're probably going to create 100, uh, 1,500 jobs in North St. Louis. I have experience in how to do that. And I have a good track record on getting people to come behind me, even on complex things they might not normally agree with. If they can kind of see the vision, if they can see where we want to go as a state, I think that's important. I'll give one quick example. I gave a, a speech, and it was at the World Economic Forum, so there's lots of money in this room, probably about $15 trillion, I mean, lots of money. And there were people from California, and there were people from New York there, but nobody from Missouri. Now, if we want businesses to come here, if we want to attract investment, because that revenue is then going to be used for education and health care, we need to make sure our state senators, our statewide legislators are promoting the state. We're no longer competing against Kansas and Nebraska. We're competing against Argentina, Spain, the world. And so we need to start making our knowledge base of how we interact in business a little bit more global. I can bring that experience to the Senate. I can bring that expertise. And it's one of the things I'm very excited about. I'm just not going to be for one group. I'm all about how do we create equality through creating opportunities. To do that, you have to improve education, healthcare, and create jobs. How do you think the national environment presidential race is going to affect this contest? And this is an interesting question for this district, because depending on where you go, uh, Trump is either wildly Wilder. popular, or if you go to Webster Groves, he's probably the most hated politician ever. Uh, but the thing is, the reason I'm asking that question is oftentimes national races really affect down ballot sure. contests like these. So how do you think it affects a, a contest like this? You know, so I just don't know. 
I wish I could. I'm a mathematician too, by the way. So you think I would, if anyone, I would know, but I just don't. And, and the thing that's really interesting about that is President Trump has done some good things. I've been talking about the pharmaceutical industry and China for a long time. Him bringing those jobs back in the research and development has been fantastic. Someone needed to take that stand and do that. Sure, I wish he wouldn't tweet all the time or, or, or do that. But I, I think what we need to do is when you start looking at which candidates you're voting for, vote your national conscience for your national rep. And when you get down to the state, start voting who's going to be best for Missouri, who's going to create the jobs, who's going to improve education, who's going to fight for all Missourians and not just one specific group of Missourians. And I think if you do that, I'm the clear choice. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad we were able to get both thank candidates you. of this contest on Politically Speaking, because this is a really important race. And anytime you have an open, competitive state Senate race, it always just makes me like a little more excited about life in yeah. general. Uh, for you. all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How could people either follow you on Twitter or how would people find out more about your campaign by going to your campaign website? Yeah, so go to David Linehan for Senate. Dot com. So David Linehan for Senate or on Facebook, David Linehan for Senate. Very simple. Thank you very much. And until next time, so long. Yeah.